Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 321 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, joined by Jill. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. That's really, 321 is a nice, like, soothing 321. It is. Yeah. Um, no, I'm good. It's a weird day here in, over in, in Cleveland. It's like rain. It's March. Yeah, that's right. It's like, I was like, it's the Simpsons joke. It's lousy smarch weather. So it's like raining, but also snowing and all that jazz. Um, what's going on? What's, what would you do today? What, what's the episodes? <laughs> so the episode I did is an interview with Jasper Ford. He is a New York Times bestselling author. Um, he's had a couple series, including The Nursery Crimes, my personal favorite, The Thursday Next Series, and um, Shades of Grey. He has a new standalone out called Early Riser, um, and we talk about that. It's like it's people hibernating, right? It's people hibernating. Yeah, they um, they hibernate, and then there are people who um, do not hibernate as sort of uh, – their job they kind of are keeping track of everything and um it follows the story of one of the people not hibernating nice and jasper also has a fun distinction of having a double f at the beginning of his last name he does have a double f i actually meant to ask you before we started recording you said his name obviously but you did the interview and i was wondering if like if it, if it was something fun of, of like, i got pronunciation way but it sounds like it's just normal it's just normal That's yeah such a- jasper ford so very rare double letter at the beginning. It is a double it. letter. Yeah, I like it's it. it is a little rare. Yeah, I've been reading these books for a really, really long time. Um, I read an advanced copy of thir- the the Air Affair, which is the first book in the um, Thursday Next series, like fifteen or twenty years ago. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's been a long time that I've been reading his book, so I was very, very excited um, to have an opportunity to chat with him. I do remember you being really excited when that was on the list. I also will say, having not been in the library world before my eight plus years here at Overdrive, I didn't know advanced copies exist. So the fact that you're like, yeah, like 15, 20 years ago, I read an advanced copy. That's that's awesome to me. Yeah. So actually, um, not at all related, but somewhat. Uh, we <laughs> I worked at a public library in my hometown, and yeah, they would get advanced copies. Not mm-hmm. as many as we get here, but libraries get advanced copies. Um, so that, yeah, so I read an advanced copy of, of The Airfare, and then sometimes, though, um, we they would also, after the actual book came out, um, would add the advanced copies to their donation pile hmm. that would go to the... Uh, friends of the library book sale mm-hmm. except as a page we would always get first dibs on all of the all of the um books that were going to be donated uh or they were decided not to donate i don't know somehow we got like first dibs on a ton of books and so i collected many in, in an arc over the years that's awesome that really makes me happy um i will say i don't know when we're gonna put it up yet because we i looked at our schedule and we gotta do some figuring out but um, we're recording this on Friday tomorrow. I feel like we do such a bad job of announcing awesome things that we do all the time. Uh, tomorrow, the two of us are interviewing Harlan Coben live at 
Cuyahoga County Public Library in front of like 400 of our closest friends. Um, I don't know when it's going to go up. But I'm really oh, I can excited. tell you when it's going to go up in a minute because we had to do some other rearranging. So there's oh, an open okay. spot on our calendar. All right, cool. Well, I'm really excited for it. And I'm reading his new book, Runway, right now. And it's really, really good. Like, I definitely see how everyone was like, it's a super page turner. I was like, right, well, yeah, I mean, it's a mystery. Of course, it's no, like last night I was diving through it. It's really, really good. So that will be coming up in the near future. So um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. You can go to our website, ProfessionalBookNerds.com. Uh, you can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. And, yeah, you can leave us reviews. You can go join our Viber community. Whatever you want to do, you can find us. We're available. Um, anything else you think people should know about? I don't think so. I think that's everything. Okay, cool. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this interview that Jill did with Jasper Ford on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. <laughs> This is Jill, and with me today is New York Times bestselling author Jasper Ford, creator of the Thursday Next series, the nursery crime series in Shades of Grey. His latest book, Early Riser, received a star review from Kirkus and is out now. Jasper, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, my, my pleasure. Great to be here. Can you give our listeners a brief introduction to Early Riser? Yeah, this is, um, this is a thriller set in a world in which humans have always hibernated. So in a very cold uh, planet Earth, we, we hibernate from, uh, from November until March. And it really follows, the story follows uh, my protagonist, uh, Charlie Worthing, as they navigate their first, uh, their first winter as a winter consul, which are the small, very dedicated uh, band of fearless um, uh, people who look after the sleeping masses as they hibernate. So um, the book has been out in the UK for a while now. Um, it's just now available in the US. I have to ask, how many Game of Thrones and Winter's Coming jokes have you had to endure since it was published? <laughs> um, actually, actually, not not that many, really. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why, but um, no, no, not not that many. Was there anything in particular that inspired the story? No, it was well. It was just I had this idea that that of hibernating interested me. I think I've been reading up about it or something. And I just I just did that what if um scenario, you know, what if humans hibernated? And and as soon as I thought of that, I went, Okay, I could do something with that. I could do quite a lot with that. That's that's a, that's actually, you know, that's a big world. A very different world and there should be all sorts of dramatic possibilities that um that, that I've never thought of. So yeah, it was just that was the kicking off point. I will say uh, a lot of your books take place in this sort of different world, which is what I love about them. But there's a lot of world building involved in your books. How on earth do you, you know, once you have this idea of what if humans hibernated, how do you go about deciding what elements and what that world looks like? Well, it's you just really start thinking about it and start writing, writing it down. Um, and and I have this. I have several, you know, kind of rules or tenets by which I I, I write by. And one of them is um, uh, the le- the logical progression of an idea. And it's not enough to just say, oh, we go to sleep, you know, just like you do normally, and then you wake up, 
just like it's the beginning of the day, and that's it. You know, there has to be more to the world than that. There has to be a huge amount. Because I think when people write, uh, when people read books which are speculative fiction, you know, these these people are not um, stupid people. These people are not, uh, they are imaginative people. I think reading is is an imaginative uh, process of writing. And they'll be asking exactly those sort of questions. Yes, but how does it work? You know, Mm. and what if this and what if that? So it's kind of me sort of trying to second guess um, what readers might come up with as well. And it's me exploring this world. And I just start off, as I said, the logical progression of an idea. How would it work? Is there high mortality during the winter? If there is, what does that mean from a society? Uh, are, we, are we struggling as a society to survive? Um, replacement of people uh, with high mortality means that uh, children would have to be born at a greater rate than they are at the moment. Perhaps everybody would be expected to, to you know, have at least four. Um, and if that's the case, then that changes everything. Um, and, and everything has a kind of little knock-on effect. So the logical progression idea actually spreads and darkens and complexes itself. Um, and in that, in that sort of morass of new... Uh, of a new framework of logic, the story and drama start to appear. In that case, do you plot everything out in advance? Do you kind of have an idea of where your books are going when you start writing them? Uh, not really, no, no, because um, because I don't know where the, where the dramatic possibilities lie when, when I start mm. writing the book. Um, I can't really, really know. So I kind of let the world in some unusual way dictate you know how the story goes i knew that i would it would be a sort of my character charlie worthing bit of a fish out of water going through the the winter uh, for the first time and finding it uh, you know dangerous tricky absurd difficult to navigate um and really the characters that charlie meets on the way um so it was it was that sort of question but whether there was how the the plots are all going to come together because I, I like doing multi-strand mm-hmm. plots. I don't like having just one plot. I have several plots and a subplot, and sometimes you don't know which one's the real plot, <laughs> which is a subplot. And I kind of like all that, you know, lots going on, lots, tons of stuff going on. Um, and it was really just a question of building the world, see what happens, and then start putting all the, uh, the threads together, have some bizarre characters, make, you know, three or four bizarre characters, and then take that character and make them into one character, which makes always, always works. It's a really great trick for making uh, complex characters. to actually write two and then put them into one. Um, yeah, and it was just a question of, um, yeah, just, just seeing where the drama, where the drama happened. Um, you know. So in that case, is there anything during the writing process about this world and the story that surprised you that came up along the way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I if, 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 if people read one of my books, I, I sort of often say, you know, if you have no idea where it's going, and some of them are a bit strange, um, certainly, you know, like the Shades of Grey or even the Aerofa, you know, if you have no idea where I'm going with this, then don't worry, because you're in good hands, because <laughs> I have no idea either. I mean, I really did not know where it was going. And it, I think it's the same with, um, the same with Early Riser. I had no idea where the story was, was going to turn out. And, and I think that's fun, and I think it's healthy, and I, and I think it's, it's good. I don't do any plotting at all. Okay. I have never been a plotter. 
I simply start writing the stories, introducing characters, seeing what sort of characters they are, seeing how they react to um, jeopardy, boredom, excitement, or whatever, uh, and then see what comes out in the mix. Um, so I have to write a huge amount. I write every book I write is, is you know, it's, it's 400,000 words distilled down into 100. Um, but it's a it's it's a voyage of discovery more than actually a you know specifically getting this plot in mind on the paper. Um, so yeah, no plotting, no plotting, just make it up as I go along. <laughs> All right. That, I mean, having read your books, that kind of makes sense because I think it's a voyage of discovery for readers as well, which is fun. Yeah. 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 And I, and I enjoy that. I mean, it, I think it's great fun just playing with ideas, you know, absurd ideas, seeing how I can make, uh, you know, a fantasy world seem plausible. That is always the skill, I think. You know, whenever I read a book that has a very, you know, a very sort of perhaps a fantastical notion about it, I, I always think, is it plausible? You know, I mean, not real, that's completely different. Impossible, it's completely different. But is it plausible? And I think that's, that's the important thing to do is write uh, in fantasy or absurdist fiction or speculative fiction, whatever you're writing, is to make it not necessarily um, likely, but make it plausible. Well, I think that's sort of key to your books is that you don't really know what's going on. You know, you're just sort of dropped in this world and you have to kind of... Um, accept that this is the way it is you know you're like all right this is sure people hibernate that makes perfect sense <laughs> you just kind of have to go yeah. along with it yeah yeah totally yeah and, and i think um, and this is why i really like you know i think you know fantasy readers are great fun because uh because they're very open to the suspension of disbelief to say okay I, i'm totally on board with the whole hibernation thing now entertain me forward you know on that basis let's see what you got and 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 I like that, you know, just to say, right, let's go totally out there, make it plausible, and then we're telling a, a proper human story on, uh, you know, on 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 what uh, what I've already created. As I mentioned in the intro, you have several series that you've written, and this is your first standalone. Um, did you approach it any differently in the process? Um. Well, yeah, series and standalone books. Series, uh, all, all my all my series books actually began with a standalone. So, uh, because creating the world, and then once I've created the world, it's like, well, I've you know, got this great world. Well, I must be able to do something more with it. You know, I spend so much you know time and energy creating it. You know, and there's a it's a big canvas, um, and it's relative. It's a big broad canvas, and I've only written in like one corner of it. Um, so, uh, when I'm writing a standalone or a beginning uh, beginning of a series is it takes slightly longer to get everything in position not not necessarily how the world works but trying to stop it becoming too uh too easy perhaps um and in that way i mean when i wrote a book for kids with magic the magic had to be weak so the ways in which you couldn't do things you know there have to be this sort of blocking mechanism get rid of guardians however you want to describe them um when you have a, a character you need to go from a to b they can't go from A to B because that's like you know hideously boring. Um, they need to, it's an obstacle course. I, I think a, a good movie, a good book, is like an obstacle course for the protagonist. They know they've got to get to point B, and they might have to you know maybe go to point D and point F as well. But it's going to be difficult. And in fantasy, uh, in, in any books actually, you have to create these really good obstacles. But they can't. They have to be logical obstacles. They can't be just oh you just can't do that. 
that there has to be a reason why you can't do it. And sometimes, you know, when I'm writing ideas, um, it means I can't do something. You know, it's, it's ah, I can't do that because then I, my character won't be able to get to point B. And then I have to modify it, and then it has to be quite complicated to justify that. So it's, oh, it's, it can be very, very complicated sometimes. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it's, you know, it has to have a, an elegance. I think a, a, well, a well-plotted book has to have a simple elegance about it. And I, and I think... Um, I'm probably a sort of secret engineer at heart, and the thing about engineering I enjoy is elegant solutions. You know, and that's why I I so enjoy um, really good crime. You know, whodunit crime, um, or even you know, um, watching um, not the whodunit, but how how has he done it? How did he find out who they who did it? Um, Columbo. Um, The great thing about Columbo was. Like Ag- reading Agatha Christie is the the elegance of uh, the complexity and how it happened, and, and I think that's something that I really enjoy writing, and I think readers really enjoy that. You know, uh, despite the sort of fantastical setting of Early Riser in terms of you know suspension of disbelief, the book touches on a lot of real world issues. You know, we have this drug, Morphnax. It's only available to the wealthy and the well connected. Mm. And there is, as you said, sort of legislation related to procreation and families. For you, is you know fiction and satire and all this an opportunity to explore these issues in a way that's not quite overt or sort of hitting people over the head with information. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, a lot of the time that's the function of sort of satire. It, it's to make us laugh, but it's also perhaps to make us question what we do because a lot of the stuff humans do out of habit, and and we do this because we've always done it that way. But it, but if somebody says, yeah, but why have we done it that way? Maybe there's another way of doing it, and and I think that's quite interesting from a satire point of view is to is to question that status quo, to to look at things uh, through a um, uh, a speculative, you know, book like like mine, and maybe you know, question these these things that perhaps are not right, and perhaps need need looking at or modifying in some particular way. Um, and and that the the um, the way that we do things are, are almost like the clothes that we wear. They're they're kind of like fashionable. You know, the, the way we do things today are fashionable today, but maybe um, in a few years' time we'll look at them and we'll. You know, we'll think this is very, very strange. I was having a conversation. I'm interested. A little sort of aside. Um, I'm having a conversation with someone, um, and I have eight and a ten-year-old, and, and they did as well. And I said, you know, when they're seventy and they look back on this time now, what will they, what will they say? You know, what will they be most amazed about? And I and I always maintain it's the abundance because mm. we go into supermarkets now and we don't notice the abundance. Of, of, you know, I can, I can go into a local supermarket and there can be nine different types of mayonnaise, you know, all of which pretty much taste the same. And, and I think maybe in 50, 60 years, people may say, yeah, why did you do that? That was kind of strange. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and throwing stuff away, you know, we, 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 you know, nowadays we, we buy what's manufactured and we keep it for, you know, sometimes less than a week and it's in the, it's in the bin and go straight to landfill. And that's odd, and I think it's slightly strange. So you can you can look at all kinds of things that we do, which seem, you know, seem normal to us, but actually are very abnormal. So, you know, satire is a great tool for doing this, just looking at the world. 
I know from reading your previous books that you put a lot of thought and care into your character names. I'm thinking um, like Landon Park Lane in the Thursday Next series. Given yeah. the uh, plot line and the story of the book, is the character of Aurora reference to the Northern Lights or sort of Princess Aurora from Sleeping Beauty? Uh, well, it was kind of a... Uh, I think a lot of people have um, have dreamed, uh, have sleep-based names. I think there's a character called Falmat um, from, you know, a nap. They're obviously mm-hmm. uh, having a sleep. So there's quite a few surnames which relate to sleeping, which I think you would have if a lot of people hibernated. Um, in my book, Shades of Grey, a lot of people have surnames which are based around colour, you know, which is kind of logical. So it's kind of, you know, logical, sort of uh, plausible framework that I was was kind of talking about. Um, So Aurora was, yeah, um, you know, Aurora of the Dawn. So she has a name which is based around um, um, sleeping and, you know, hibernation and the new day. So that kind of made sense, really, to call her her, um, her that. Um, Charlie Worthing is, is actually called Worthing because there was a uh, a plot device all about um, uh, the importance of being earnest. Um, Charlie actually um, uh, had the same name as the uh, lead character in that, and um, uh, for some reason that plot device got thrown out, but um, Charlie's just carried on the name. <laughs> so there's, there's, some, there's some odd reasons sometimes why these people are called that. All right. And Takata, yeah, and Takata was called Takata because I had this idea that um, uh, that Charlie's surname would be Fugue, and they'd be Takata and Fugue, and they'd become some sort of, you know, couple or something, but that didn't work either, so Takata kept the name. I just think it's a good name. It is a good name. Um, So, moving away from Early Riser for a bit, you have your own con, basically, which is uh, known as the uh, Ford Fiesta. How exactly did that start? And it's been around for a while, so how has it grown over the years? Yeah, we've from I think two thousand and five was the first one, and, and they've never they've never been organised by me ever. Um, but just some 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 very sort of um, uh, enthusiastic and, and generous readers said, well, "Why don't we all get together and have a you know a little sort of Ford Fiesta?" And and it first happened two thousand and five, and it's been happening, you know, in a sort of roughly every two years since. So I think we're we're on. In May, we're going to have Ford Fiesta 8. So, yeah, it'll be our eighth one. And um, we have them every two years, um, just in case, you know, sort of Fiesta fatigue can set in. And there's usually about 170 people. And it's it's in Swindon in the UK. And a lot, a lot of, uh, at least 60 or 70 of them are regular attendees. And it's, it's like sort of meeting up old friends, really. Um, and it's great fun. And we have games based around the books. And and I'm and I'm always around. Um, I don't sort of you know suddenly appear for half an hour <laughs> and then vanish. You know uh, I'm always around chatting to people and you know just talking about books and talking about writing and this and that and anything you want to talk about really. So it's a very sort of um, accessible kind of um, author um, uh, author festival and everyone has great fun. But it's um, all, all the all the plaudits must go to the um, the organisers or forganisers as they're called, <laughs> um, who actually do all the hard work because you know it is hard work putting on it. Even a, a modest uh, fiesta, as the Ford Fiesta is, um, it takes a huge amount of work. So hats off to them. Uh, I have been reading your books since the airfare, and oh, good. <laughs> um, so 
going sort of off this idea of the what if questions, what inspired the the airfare and the character of Thursday next? Um, right, okay. The 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 first book I wrote, uh first book I finished was the Humpty Dumpty Police Procedural. So that was I couldn't get that published. So then I wrote a sequel to it, uh The Fourth Bear, again, which I couldn't get published. And then, so then I was sort of kicking around and I was thinking, right, well, okay, um, I'm, I'm not being published. So those two books are basically fairly straight books. They're my police procedurals, you know, with nursery, nursery run characters. But they're basically police procedurals. So after those, the rejection of those two, I kind of thought, well, it might, I might not be published. You know, in which case it kind of doesn't really matter what I write. I can just write whatever I want. Um, and then I thought, okay, well, what's it going to be about? And, the nursery rhyme characters, nursery rhyme books, um, you know, take nursery rhyme characters and make them real. And I was kind of mucking around with, you know, these kind of nursery stories and um, nursery rhymes and everything else. Um, but in the second book, The Fourth Bear, um, I introduced um, Dorian Gray from the Oscar Wilde book, the picture of Dorian Gray, as a used car salesman, right? And mm-hmm. I thought that was quite funny and amusing. And I thought, oh, okay, hang on, I've been doing this with um, nursery rhyme characters. Why can't I do it with... Uh, classical fiction and actually yeah that works really well because there's a kind of sniggering at the back of English class you know that I kind of enjoyed about it and then I was thinking okay Jane Eyre kidnapped out of Jane Eyre everybody's copy is blank right I've had a male protagonist for the last two books it's time for a female protagonist I looked down my list of names of which I, I keep and one of them was Thursday next because I thought oh that's got a good name kind of sounds you know, enigmatic, and it has a little internal rhythm to it. Thursday next, dum dum dum. And then it was a question of right, start writing the book, put it, put her in it, um, make everything not going 100% right for her, and see how she deals with it. But um, you know, if you know Thursday, she's someone who is um, resolute uh, in her <laughs> approach to everything, completely, you know, incorruptible, and just absolutely has a very very clear sense of purpose but you know a light side to her as well um and it was just really what sort of came out in the mix really um and she kind of just sort of appeared really but um she's good she's good fun to write actually and especially as as she and i have sort of grown older together and i kind of i kind of put myself in with landon really you know and i'm just sort of landon pretending that i know what thursday is thinking about when i'm writing the book (laughs) I could see how she would be a, a complex character and hard to control sometimes. She's very, like, she's very, she, like, yeah. she knows what she wants, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, interestingly, you know, because, I mean, uh, it's all very well, you know, writing, you know, stories uh, with strong female leads, but I think also an, a, a equal importance is to write secondary lead, secondary characters who are men who are totally okay with a strong female lead. Mm, mm-hmm. And and this is Landon all over. You know, this is a person who, he had his writing career, but basically he knows that what he has to do is to support this this extraordinary woman that he's, he's lucky enough to be married to. Um, and they have, you know, their, their marriage is clearly rock steady. And um, Eddie Russett, you know, who meets Jane Grey in Shades of Grey, he's, he's a a beta male, you know, dealing with, uh, in a very good way, I think, um, you know, a, a very strong female character. So, so I think there's, you know, there's, there's an importance there about, you know, secondary characters and how they relate to, to the, uh, the female lead, and they're not in a way that, um, 
you know, trying to be aggressive or trying to be outdo them, but actually just to say, no, great, you're, you're, you're there, you're totally the person, and I'll support you, let's take hands. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, interesting experiment, but, um, yeah, yeah, no, I like Thursday. And, and there's, there's, there's got to be another Thursday book as well, Thursday 8, um, so I'll eventually get around to writing another one. I think she's probably about, she'll be about 58 by then, or maybe 60, but okay. um, still, still active. Yeah, still active. sure, of course. Um, yeah. Speaking of Shades of Grey, I'm going to ask a question you're probably tired of hearing, but is there a second Shades of Grey book ever coming? Well, no one, no one actually has ever asked me that. <laughs> you are actually the first person to ask. You can tell I'm lying, can't you? <laughs> but, um, yeah, the thing about thing about Shades of Grey, here's the, here's the thing about Shades of Grey. It's that um, I, I, I really like Shades of Grey. You know, um, I, I, really, I really like it. And that's unusual for me. I don't generally like my books. I always... Or I can feel the failings and how I can improve them. But Shades of Grey, I actually quite like it. It did what I wanted it to do. It wasn't. It was very silly and very serious all at the same time. It had it had discussions about marriage markets, about reproductive politics. Yet it also had a lot of slapstick and silly jokes. Um, and so I really liked it. And and I thought it would do quite well. But it was my first standalone that wasn't the series. That wasn't Thursday Next and wasn't Nursery Time. So I think it didn't sell very well, right? It, it, mm-hmm. it did very poor, very poor business. And I think that's perhaps because people wanted more of Thursday and Nursery Rhymes. Um, so at the time, we kind of went, mm, well, okay, should I write the sequel to my to my editor, this is? And she went, mm, well, maybe you could do another Thursday book. And I went, yeah, all right, let's do another Thursday book. So I went back to that. Um, but as the years have gone by, it's been a slow burner. And now I think barely a day goes by where, where someone doesn't send me an email or on Twitter say, look, for goodness sake, Jasper, where's the sequel? And, and I think um, once I've, I've just put a book to bed, actually, so this uh, book I've just finished writing at the moment, that's to bed. I have to do Dragon Slayer 4 um, because I've got to get a finish the series and get that out of the way. And after that, I think it'll either be Thursday Next 8 or it'll be Shades of Grey 2. So probably probably Shades of Grey too. So there will be a sequel um, eventually. All right, that's good to know. So at good. the end, <laughs> at the end of all of our interviews, we have something we call the Nerd Nine, which is kind of like a lightning round thing. Don't put too much thought into these answers. Oh, okay. Okay. What is the last book you finished reading? The last book I finished reading was. Uh, oh, hang on, hang on. I got it. It was. Uh, West by Karen Davis. Oh, can't remember. It, yeah. Okay. Karis Jones or Karis Davis West, the last book I finished reading. Yeah. Your favourite place to read? My favourite place to read uh, is in bed. What book made you fall in love with reading? What book? Maybe um, uh, Alice through the mm-hmm. uh, Alice in Wonderland. One place you'd like to travel to that you haven't been to yet. Ooh, one place I haven't, um, Durham, um, in north of the UK. I've always wanted to go there. It's only 120 miles away. I've never been there. have a very beautiful cathedral, apparently. What is your favourite holiday to celebrate? My favourite holiday to celebrate? Um, well, I have, I have my finishing, uh, my own personal one is I have my finishing, um, uh, finishing a book day. Uh, so once I've finished a book, then the following day I, I can I can do nothing. I'm very <laughs> guilty about it. 
Because uh, most, most of the time, you know, when I'm on tour, I love touring because it's guilt-free procrastination. But when I finish the book, I think, do you know what? I can have one or two days off and I can do whatever I want. So I have some finish, finish a book day. It's my own personal one. So. I, I kind of love that. So uh, <laughs> um, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Uh, I'm both, actually, in equal measure. Cats or dogs? Uh, dogs, definitely. Favorite food? Favorite food? Quite fond of cottage pie, I have to say. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, um, let me think now. That is, oh my God, that's a hard one. I'm probably thinking James Stewart, actually. Yeah. You know Jimmy Stewart? Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's why, yeah, well, Merry Christmas, you old buildings and loads, you know that, but well, Harvey, talk to him about doing Harvey. Yeah, that'd be great, I love it. Yeah. Finally, what do you hope readers take away from reading Early Riser? Uh, in a few laughs. Um, I hope they enjoy themselves, and if they're waiting at an airport, their their waiting time vanishes. That's good. That's min- minimum. That's, that's a, a modest minimum entry requirement. Just enjoy it. Few laughs. Have fun. Sometimes that's all you need. Jasper, thank you so much for coming yeah. on the podcast. Ah, oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.